0: Well, tonight we want to continue in our series on the six great summations of the Christian life. I am hoping through this series that we will get back to the simple core and heart of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Everything in Scripture is vitally important. But sometimes we tend to get caught up in peripherals. We tend to get caught up in hair-splitting theological arguments or traditions of men. And we forget the innocence, the sweetness, the passion that really lies at the heart of being a redeemed child of God. We've looked at three Old Testament passages and now we're going to look at three New Testament passages, and we start with perhaps the best known, and that is Matthew chapter 6 and verses 33 and 34. In fact, when I come to a passage of scripture like this, I always want to remind all of us or pray for myself and for all of you that we don't think we know this so well that there's nothing to learn. Sometimes we have to guard our hearts from thinking, oh, I I know what this says, I want us to look at this again with fresh hearts and fresh eyes. It's part of Jesus' great Sermon on the Mount, and this is what he says, Matthew 6, 33 and 34. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself, sufficient for the day. Is it's own trouble? Well our first point is what matters most? As we daily live the Christian life. We should always be asking questions such as. What will matter most? When I die. As I go about my hectic life. And all of us go through those periods of time. And Pastor Mike was even referring to it. What he's recently gone through. Uh, We feel, we do, like the proverbial chicken with his head cut off, just running around with all these responsibilities and duties, and we have to ask ourselves, what will matter most when I die, and am I focusing on what's most important to God? I don't know about you, but sometimes those are piercing questions for me. What will matter most when I die, and am I focusing on what is most important to God? God. We looked at Genesis chapter 5, verses 21 through 24. Enoch walked with God and he was no more because God took him. That beautiful passage of scripture. And then we see the commentary of it in Hebrews eleven five, where Enoch was commended as having pleased God. Here was a man who walked with God. And the Bible says that he pleased God. We looked at Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verses 13 and 14 where it says, Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. And as I shared with you before, when we see a phrase like this is the whole duty of man, we should sit up and take notice. What is the whole duty of man. Last week we looked at Jeremiah chapter 9 verses 23 and 24 where we find that God delights in those who desire to know him. Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might, let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts, boast about this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord. Who practices steadfast love and justice and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, says the Lord. And when God says in these things I delight, again we ought to sit up and take notice and say, What does God delight in? What is it that I do? What is it that I practice that delights the heart of God, he delights in those who desire to understand and know him. And as I mentioned tonight, we are looking at Matthew six thirty-three and 34. Seek first the kingdom of God. Well, as we consider Matthew 6, 33 and 34, we need to understand its context. As part of Jesus' great sermon or famous sermon on the mount... If you're not familiar with the Sermon on the Mount, it is Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. It is really at the heart of Jesus' teaching. It certainly is not the only passage we should concentrate on, but if you have not ever focused attention on the Sermon on the Mount, I would encourage you to do that. I have been working with someone over a a period of a couple of years now and trying to memorize the entire Sermon on the Mount. I don't say that boastfully. I simply say that that's how important I think this sermon is. And if we are to understand what Jesus is saying at the end of chapter 6, we need to understand... The context in verse 25, he says, therefore, I tell you, speaking to his disciples on a mountainside, thus the sermon on the mount. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious. Do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body. What you will put on is not life more than food in the body, more than clothing. In verses 31 and 32 it says therefore do not be anxious saying what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear. For the Gentiles seek after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them all. So the context here is Jesus is saying to his disciples. He is saying to us don't worry about what you eat or what you drink. Or what you wear. Or if we were to put it in a modern context. I think he would also say don't worry about your car. Don't worry about your house. Now what we're going to do in all this. And I'm going to mention this again later. We're going to flip the script. Because we tend to worry and run after all these things. And God gets what's ever left over. And the Lord says I want it to be just the opposite. I want you to seek me, and I will take care of all these things in your life. So know tonight, God knows all of your needs and cares about them. What an encouragement to us. Here as mere mortals upon the earth, God knows all of our needs, and he cares about them. Well, that brings us to our second point, which is seek first. Here is the key. To not being anxious. Seek first the kingdom of God. And his righteousness. John MacArthur in his commentary on the book of. Or excuse me on the gospel of Matthew says. That. Matthew 633. Is the priority of all priorities. I like that. That's how important this is. It is the priority of all priorities in the Christian life. Of all the priorities in the Christian life, at the head of the list is seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. What does it mean to seek first the kingdom of God? Well, God's kingdom here doesn't refer to a, an earthly, present geographic, geographic boundary. Rather, God's kingdom is God's sovereign rule. And therefore, to seek first his kingdom is to seek first his rule, his will, and his authority in our lives and in all things. In other words, let me put it this way. It is being obsessed with desiring to obey and honor the Lord. I want what God wants. I want to do what delights the Lord. I want to be obsessed. And I think that is an appropriate word in this context. I want to be obsessed with desiring to obey and honor the Lord. I want him to rule and reign in every area of my life. I don't want my life to be compartmentalized into the secular and the religious Or the earthly and the spiritual. I want every area of my life to be seeking first the kingdom of God. And it means that we want to see people come to know Christ and to be brought into the kingdom of God. We want to see people brought into the kingdom of God so that God may get greater glory and his glory may spread throughout all the earth. All of those things have to do with seeking first the kingdom of God. And then if we were to look at it from a point of eschatology or future things, last things, seeking first the kingdom of God does refer to also longing for the day when Jesus will set up his millennial kingdom. And he will rule and reign over all things. We will not just long for his rule and reign. He will actually rule and reign. All of that is encompassed. All of that is caught up in this whole thought of seek first the kingdom of God. We would say. Certainly one of the great examples in the Bible of seeking first the kingdom of God. Would be the Apostle Paul. Who after meeting Jesus. Who after being saved, just gave his life, just abandoned his life to seeking first the kingdom of God. In Acts 20, 24, Paul says, but I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Oh, here's what I want to do with my life. I want to finish my course. And the ministry, notice the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to his gospel, the gospel of the grace of God. We think of that famous verse in Philippians chapter three and verse eight where Paul says, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Tonight, when Paul says, I count everything as loss, Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. When he says, for his sake, for Christ's sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. And count them as waste, as rubbish. In order that I may gain Christ. That is in essence a synonym. For seek first the kingdom of God. That's what it means. That's what it means to seek First, the kingdom of God. So we are to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And I want to emphasize the little pronoun his, his righteousness. To seek God's righteousness. A righteousness that is ours in Christ, even as I shared with you this morning from Ephesians 5. We are clothed in the very righteousness of Christ. We are positionally righteous and yet in our sanctification we pursue with all of our hearts and being and strength and striving. We pursue righteousness to seek God's righteousness is to hunger and thirst to live a life that pleases God to live a life that is in complete harmony with his character. Hmm. To seek God's righteousness is to hunger and thirst, to live a life that pleases God, to live a life that is in complete harmony with his character. This is what Enoch did. He walked with God. I believe that Enoch hungered and thirsted to live a life that pleased God. God it is Ecclesiastes chapter 12 it's what it means to fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man it is Jeremiah chapter 9 Lord let him who boasts boast of this that he understands and knows me it is Ephesians 5 to be imitators of God to walk in love as Christ love us loved us and gave himself up for us as a sacrifice. Pleasing sacrifice and aroma to God. It is to want to do, or excuse me, to want to live and walk as children of light, living and pursuing goodness and righteousness and truth. And my point simply is it all comes together. It's all the same thing. It's why it's at the heart and soul of what the Bible teaches us about what it means to cr- live the Christian life. I have always loved, always loved, as part of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6. Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed. Joyful are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And then we come to really the crux of this whole message. Then it says this. And this is the thing that, if I could say it this way, kind of blows us away. This takes us aback. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. This is why the context is so important. All these things refer to what Jesus has just said. He's talking about food and drink and clothing. And I think we could safely say about our cars, about our homes, about those things that are so much a part of our lives that we have to care for, that we have to attend to in this earthly life. And what this is saying is that if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these other things will take care of themselves. All these other things will be, as the NIV says, given unto you. The ESV says, added to you. Literally means they will take care or I will take care of them for you. Don't worry about them. Don't be anxious about them. Don't spend your life in anxiety over these things. I want you to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I'll take care of those things. Trust me. Trust me. And again, I want to say again, God is flipping the script on us. Out there in that Work-a-day world outside these walls. It's just the opposite of this. People are going to work, working hard, worrying about will they have enough to eat, enough to drink? Will they have enough to purchase clothes? Will their car break down? Will they be able to pay for their car repairs? If they need a new car, will they be able to buy a new one? What about a home? What about an apartment? How will I pay for it? How will I care for it? How will I tend to the insurance? Those things, if we're not careful, literally consume our lives. So what we do even as Christians, if we're not careful, and this is the whole point of the passage, is that we seek after those things. They consume us. And what's left over is given to God. And God said, let's turn it around. You've got to trust me. Seek first the kingdom of God and my righteousness and I'll take care of these things. That's what it's saying. That's what it's saying. Now, I want to address the fact he's not saying we should just be careless and not have jobs or anything like that. He's not saying that. He's simply saying, I don't want you to worry about those things. I want to care for them you I want to prove to you that I am the God who provides if you will seek first my kingdom and my righteousness then we read in verse 34 therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow it's okay to plan for tomorrow it's okay to think about tomorrow but we're not to worry about tomorrow and tomorrow here means tomorrow 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 means tomorrow. It doesn't mean something else. It means Monday. It means tomorrow. So making reasonable provisions for the future, for tomorrow, is sensible. But to be anxious for tomorrow, to worry about tomorrow, is sinful and a lack of trust in God. You see, God is the God of tomorrow as well as the God of today and the God of eternity. God will take care of tomorrow. God has taken care of eternity for you in Christ. He has guaranteed eternity in his beloved son. So don't worry about tomorrow because God will take care of tomorrow. And then it says this. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. In the NIV it says for tomorrow will care for itself. Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Again, this is not the careless philosophy of the hedonist who lives only for his present enjoyment. I'm not saying eat, drink, and be merry and don't even worry about the future. I'm not saying that. I'm saying God wants you to trust him for today and he will take care of tomorrow. It's the conviction of the child of God who knows that tomorrow will take care of itself because tomorrow is in the hands of our Heavenly Father. We don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow is in the hands of our Heavenly Father. He will take care of tomorrow. Do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow... Will be anxious for itself. Tomorrow will take care of itself. You. Concentrate today. On seeking first the kingdom of God. And his righteousness. And then it says. Sufficient for the day. Is its own trouble. I really like the NIV translation. Each day has enough trouble of its own. That's how. And that's what it means. Do not worry, this is the NIV, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own and it literally does. Today has its own set of trials and troubles. So don't worry about tomorrow. Trust God today. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Put all your focus, all your effort on that and then tomorrow will care for itself. You see, God promises his grace for tomorrow, tomorrow. God promises his grace for tomorrow, tomorrow. He does not give us grace for tomorrow right now. It's kind of like dying grace. Sometimes we fear what death will be like. And we hear about this thing called dying grace. And by the way, I do believe there is such a thing as dying grace. I think when people come to death's doorstep, I think there is special grace that God gives them a peace that passes all understanding. They are at rest. And we wonder, how can they say, I'm ready? It's okay. I'm ready to go home. It's because they have dying grace. And some people say, well, I don't feel that dying grace. And I say, it's because you're not dying. Okay? (laughs) You don't feel it because you're you're not there yet. God doesn't give dying grace till you're dying. So don't worry about dying grace until you're there. If you're not experiencing it right now, you're okay, okay? You're not on death's doorstep, okay? When you get there, then he will give you dying grace. And that's in essence what he's saying here. God will give you grace for tomorrow when tomorrow comes. He wants your focus to be on today. Proverbs 27.1 says, do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. We don't know what tomorrow has in store. Do you know the only thing we really have is today? This is a gift from God. None of us here know whether we'll be here tomorrow. But we are here today, and we are obeying God and living for him right now. So, he only gives grace one day at a time. As it is needed. And praise him for that. God gives grace one day at a time. As it is needed. Whatever your trial is today. Whatever you're facing today. God will give you grace for today. If you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. He will provide for you. For today. One of the great promises from the Old Testament. That has sustained God's people for centuries is Isaiah chapter 26 and verses 3 and 4. The prophet says of the Lord, You keep keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. I love that promise. Sometimes you will find it in Christian greeting cards. Sometimes I've included it in notes that I've written to people. You will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. You see, God designed the Christian life to be a carefree life, not a careless life, but a carefree life. He really did. He designed the Christian life to be a carefree life. Where we are to live in the fullness of his joy, doing good to others and trusting him, knowing whatever our needs are, God will take care of them. Whatever you are facing tonight, God promises that he will care for you. So here's how it works. You get up tomorrow morning and you seek first the kingdom of God. And his righteousness and knowing that God will care for you. Don't worry about Tuesday. Because Tuesday will care for itself. Monday will have enough trouble of its own. Then you get to Tuesday. And you seek first the kingdom of God. And his righteousness. Knowing that he will provide for you and take care of all of your needs. You don't worry about Wednesday. Because Wednesday will care for itself. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father. Help us. To live a God honoring. Christ centered. Carefree life. Help us to learn over and over again. What it means to seek first the kingdom of God. And your righteousness. Knowing that all these other things. Food, drink, clothing, cars, homes, whatever our worries may be, you will take care of them because you have promised. So, Lord, help us to put our focus on what's most important and trust you for everything else. In Jesus' name, amen.